Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 638 for the 14th of April, 2019. This week, Windows 10 shares information about your computer with Microsoft. There are good reasons for Microsoft to want the data, good reasons for you to allow it. But maybe you don't want to share the information. It is possible to disable the sharing if you know where to look, and a small utility provides an easy way to review and change the settings. In short circuits, some tech writers advise against using password managers, but I see them as the best way to create and maintain passwords that are unique and complex. Let's consider the opposing points of view. Most Windows 10 computers have Fast Start enabled. You might want to turn that feature off. I'll explain why and how. In spare parts, only on the website, a Chinese woman who was detained at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago club was found to have lots of electronic gear and malware on a thumb drive. She'll be arraigned on Monday. Like drones or not, they're here to stay, and public safety agencies, fire and police departments are finding good ways to use them. And an online service says it can help people deal with anxiety, eating disorders, and smoking. By default, Windows 10 shares information about your computer with Microsoft. I have never considered this to be very much of a privacy threat, but some people do. The default settings can be changed, but it's a good idea to first understand what Microsoft is collecting and why. Microsoft uses Windows diagnostic data to help with development decisions. The company says that this data gives users a voice in the operating system's development. Not everybody agrees with that, and some see threats where I believe no threat really exists, or at least that potential threats are balanced by advantages that users receive from the information provided to Microsoft. Microsoft lists six key privacy principles that are considered when telemetry data are collected from customers' computers. First is control. As a Windows user, Microsoft says you have control of the diagnostic data shared. Microsoft says that it provides easy-to-use management tools, and although the tools are easy to use, they're not always easy to find. That's primarily the topic we'll cover today. Second is transparency. Microsoft says they provide information about diagnostic data collected, but that information is sometimes difficult to find, and it is generally written for IT professionals. Third is security. Although Microsoft intentionally collects no data that can be used to identify a user and the connection from your computer to Microsoft is encrypted, it is possible for Microsoft to receive personal information. That information might be in the computer's memory when the system crashes. Fourth is legal protections. Microsoft says that it fights for legal protection of customers' privacy as a fundamental human right. Some might question that. Fifth on Microsoft's list is no content-based targeting. Microsoft says it takes steps to avoid and minimize the collection of customer content, such as the content of files, chats, or emails through the Windows Diagnostic Data System. As noted, though, a crash dump might contain personal information. 
Microsoft says that customer content inadvertently collected is kept confidential and is not used for user targeting. And sixth, benefit to the user. Windows diagnostic data is used to improve the operating system and keep it secure to improve reliability. That is the key reason that I consider any small potential privacy issue to be an acceptable trade-off. Here's an example. A video driver caused some Windows 10 devices to crash and reboot. The diagnostic data sent automatically to Microsoft made it possible for developers to identify the problem quickly. Microsoft contacted the company that made the video driver, received an updated driver from that company, and started testing it in the Windows Insider program within 24 hours. The new device driver was validated and then pushed out to users the next day. So from start to finish, resolution took 48 hours. That certainly wouldn't have happened in the old days. Two kinds of data might be included in a crash dump or otherwise sent to a Microsoft site. First is diagnostic data. Second is functional data. And these can be confused. Some Windows components and apps connect to Microsoft services directly, but the data they exchange is not diagnostic data. For example, exchanging a user's location for local weather or news is functional data that the app or service needs to satisfy the user's request. Desktop settings that are synced to several devices are also functional, not diagnostic. For better or worse, I am not one who sees nefarious actions lurking behind Microsoft's collection of user data, but I do understand that some people would like to limit what Microsoft can see. That's not always an easy task because the settings are in various operational groups. Wouldn't it be great if there was an application that gathered all of the privacy settings into one location? Well, such an application exists. It is called WPD, and it's available from the developer's website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website to the developer's website. WPD does not have to be installed. Just download the zip file and extract WPD.exe and run it. The application is free. It contains no ads. It also includes a couple of extra components. One is for firewall rules and another for removing apps. You'll find some screenshots on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You want to start with the button at the top of the screen. It's called Privacy. That leads to an enormously long screen that shows the current state of your computer's settings, and it allows you to enable or disable features. A quick review will show that this includes features you might not even know about. In fact, it's almost guaranteed unless you're a Microsoft operating system developer or a product manager. WPD is worth every penny you didn't have to pay for it. Most of the settings display a question mark in a circle, and clicking that displays an explanation of what will change if you disable an enabled setting or enable one that's disabled. When making changes, it's important to understand what the effect of the change will be. So if the explanation provides insufficient information, an online search will probably help. Now, I mentioned a couple of additional components. The second section of the application is for firewall rules. Windows 10 includes a firewall as part of the Windows Defender. If you want to use the WPD firewall rules, you'll need to turn off the built-in firewall. Windows 10 will rely on the built-in firewall if it's turned on and ignore any other rules. So if you're satisfied with the Windows Defender Firewall, or if you don't have a very good understanding of how firewalls work, it's best just to stay out of that section. 
The third section is an application remover that is limited to removing Windows apps, not desktop applications. Because add and remove programs can uninstall most apps, you might wonder why this section is even here. Well, you'll notice that I said that add and remove programs can uninstall most apps. Most is not all. By default, Microsoft does not allow users to remove some apps. Xbox, for example. If you don't use Xbox and you'd really like to remove it, WPD is the tool for the job. WPD is a pretty good example of a free application, but it's one you should use with care. short circuits, a tech writer whose work I respect is adamantly opposed to password managers. That's because he believes that having all his passwords in one place makes them easier to steal. Well, a poorly designed password management system could be a security issue, but what I consider to be a tiny threat is outweighed by the advantages that a password manager provides. Those who don't use a password manager tend to engage in one of several risky behaviors. They might use the same password for all sites, or store passwords in a text file, or write passwords down on a piece of paper. Now, for home users, writing passwords on a list is relatively safe. Reusing passwords, or keeping them in an unencrypted file on the computer, are not safe procedures. I've seen statistics that suggest the average U.S. Internet user has 100 to 150 passwords. I have about 340 to keep track of. They are all supposed to be unique, but I can tell you not all of mine are. Passwords for bank accounts, medical providers, and anything related to finance are all long, complex, and unique. Something like lowercase z, uppercase h, uppercase l, zero, uppercase h, pound sign, uppercase t, exclamation point, nine, uppercase a, uppercase q, caret, lowercase p, lowercase b, uppercase u, dash, two, three. Like that. Now that's not a password I use anywhere for anything. 18 characters, upper and lowercase letters, numbers, and symbols. There's no way I could remember even one password like that, and certainly not several hundred. Passwords are sometimes reused for trivial sites, things like newspapers or support sites. But even then, I generally create a password that follows a pattern. Because these passwords are shorter, sometimes the pattern does create identical passwords for more than one site. But using the same password for many sites is dangerous, and I know that, so I make sure that every important site has a unique password. Why do they have to be unique? Well, not every site stores passwords securely, and a breach that includes a username and password leads crooks, who, by the way, are not dumb, to try that username and password with financial institutions. Many financial institutions have started including additional questions in an attempt to block thieves who manage to get hold of your username and password. So, in my opinion, you do need a password manager. I use LastPass. There are several others, like Dashlane, 1Password, RoboForm, Zoho Vault, and KeyPass2. They're all good choices. 
The password managers store all of your passwords in an encrypted file on your computer. Some also store your passwords in the cloud. And that's what causes some people to worry. But it's not something that has been a significant concern to me. Now, if there is one password that absolutely must be long, complex, and unique, it is the one you use for the password manager. Anyone who learns the username and password for your password manager has indeed stolen the keys to the kingdom. The password I use for LastPass is 21 characters long. It includes upper and lowercase letters, it includes numbers, it includes symbols, and it is astonishingly easy for me to remember. And no, I'm not going to tell you why it's easier to remember. That would give away too much. In addition to storing passwords and making them available on every computer or mobile device you use, most password managers have the ability to create long and complex passwords that are more random than what you would create by just poking keys on the keyboard. Most password managers defeat keylogging software by pasting usernames and passwords in when you log on to a site. Your usernames and passwords are stored online, but they are encrypted and salted. The encryption typically uses your password to create a hash, and the procedure uses AES-256 encryption. Breaking that kind of encryption would take years. Of course, if crooks do get your credentials, they have everything they need to access every account you have. So make that password strong and complex. Protect it carefully. And use two-factor authentication that most password managers provide. And although your browser may offer to save passwords, browsers are not password managers. Some simply store credentials in plain text, although most are getting away from that. In addition to using a real password manager, it is important to delete any passwords that have been saved in a browser, and then to turn off the browser's ability to save passwords. The 20 worst passwords tend not to change much from year to year. I have to wonder what people were thinking when they selected those passwords that are on the 20 worst password list. You'll find the list on the TechBiter Worldwide website. It is amazing. Windows 10 has a fast startup option. Most people feel that any time spent waiting for a computer is wasted, so making sure the feature is enabled seems like a good idea. Not everybody agrees, though. There are valid reasons for both options. Maybe that's why Microsoft makes it an option. Windows PCs have several advanced configuration and power interface power states. ACPI is the abbreviation for that. When the computer is running, it's in S0 power state, but several others exist from S1 to S5. Do you turn off your computer at night, put it to sleep, or allow it to hibernate? Hibernate is power state S4. A hibernating computer will appear to be off, but it can resume to a state with all of the applications open that were open when it entered hibernation state. The S5 power state occurs during a reboot, and power state G3, yeah, not S, but this one's G3, means the computer is fully off. When fast startup is enabled, the computer shuts down, and although you're logged out and all applications are closed, the Windows kernel state is saved. 
The file is a lot smaller than a hibernation file, and it allows the state of the kernel to be restored quickly. You can see this if you open the Task Manager and navigate to the Performance tab, then select CPU. You'll see a screenshot of this on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Although I usually shut the system down each night, this panel reported uptime as 14 days, 18 hours, 30 minutes, and 12 seconds. This little trick saves some time if the computer has a standard hard disk, but there is little performance increase for computers that have solid-state drives. If the boot drive doesn't have much space, disabling fast startup will release space used by the file that stores the kernel's state. In some cases, users have reported that problems with their computers have been resolved when the computer fully shuts down and restarts without benefit of the fast startup file. Turning the feature off is a way to test this on your computer. Turning fast startup on or off is easy enough. Just open Settings, then choose Power and Sleep, and click Additional Power Settings. This will open an old-style control panel dialog, then click Choose what the power buttons do. That opens a System Settings dialog with several shutdown settings in the lower half of the screen. These might be disabled until you click Change Settings that are currently unavailable near the top of the screen and accept the User Access Control warning. Then you can change the Fast Startup options and save the results and see if there's any real difference. There's no real difference in spare parts. It's still only on the website. And this week we have these stories. A Chinese woman who was detained at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago club was found to have lots of electronic gear and malware on a thumb drive. She will be arraigned on Monday. Like drones or not, they are here to stay, and public service agencies, fire and police departments, are finding good ways to use them. And an online service says that it can help people deal with anxiety, eating disorders, and smoking. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.